Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Olcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Sophie Devonshire. Sophie is the CEO of The Caffeine Partnership and she's also the author of a book called Superfast, Lead at Speed. Uh, before we get into the main part of the show, just a couple of quick announcements from me. So the first one is to say that the Work Fuel book that I wrote with Colette Hennigan is still on sale. It's doing really well. So I'd love you to check that out if you've not done so already. So go and check out Work Fuel. You can find that on Amazon. You can find that in all good bookshops, of course, as well. Um, it's a book about how to eat to have better energy at work. So go and check out Work Fuel. Would love to hear your thoughts. Had some really amazing feedback on it um, from people who have been trying out the recipes, changing their habits, and um, have got some really nice things to say about it. So go and check out Work Fuel, and uh, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, second thing is just to say that my masterclass event is happening on the 28th of June. Um, it's in Angel at the Business Design Centre in middle of London. Um, it's a day of me um, working with you on all of your productivity techniques and systems. Uh, you bring your laptops, you bring all your bits of paper and all the uh, files and things that you haven't done, and we get to grips with it on the day. So you'll leave with a really nice, what I call second brain system in place to be able to manage and memorise all of the stuff that you're working on so that your own overwhelmed brain doesn't have to. So if that sounds like it's interesting, if you check out the Eventbrite website, you can just uh, search for my name on there. And also um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the actual link. Uh, you can also find details at grahamalcott.com forward slash masterclass. So let's get into this episode. Sophie Devonshire. Sophie, I've met before. Um, really uh, interesting perspectives on leadership, on the pace of work, um, some really interesting stuff. So we we had such a wide ranging conversation. So we talk about um, ideas, percolation, creating the space for doing the best kind of work. We talk about uh, some really interesting ideas from everybody from Winston Churchill through to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and all kinds of people in this episode. So some really nice ideas in here. Anti-goals, why being lazy is good. Honestly, so much stuff in here. So let's get into it. We are in London. We're in uh, one of the offices on Bankside, Bankside 3, which is an area just a few minutes up the road from London Bridge. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Sophie Devonshire. I'm here with Sophie Devonshire. How are you doing? I'm good. Good to be here. And we're in Bankside. Mm -hmm. uh, we've sneaked into one of your clients. <laughs> Can I say that on the podcast? <laughs> Already very... an editing point after four seconds. <laughs> Our very kind clients who are lending us a room before we go into another meeting. Nice. Cool. And uh, there was no coffee when we walked in and we just just brazenly just said can we get coffee and they've just brought us coffee so that's all good very very important to get the coffee which is very important for um what you do because you are ceo of the caffeine partnership mm -hmm. um so let's start there let's start with the day job um you've written a book which we're going to talk about as well um but let's talk first about the day job so just explain to the uninitiated what the caffeine partnership's all about so caffeine partnership's been around for 11 years now and we're a team of advisors who work with impatient leaders to help them accelerate their brands, their businesses, and their people. Um, caffeine's a good name, actually, because people do tend to remember it. Um, and caffeine, it technically, is a psychoactive stimulant. So it gets you thinking. 
So a lot of what we do is um, working with senior leaders to help them align what their strategy is, um, help accelerate and energise their people behind it, building their brands inside the organisation. But most of the time, having external perspectives and facilitators and uh, helps them think. Nice. Um, I often have this thing with Productivity Ninja and productivity that productivity becomes like a rod for my own back. <laughs> like I can't do anything wrong because it's like, oh, you're the productivity ninja. Go. Do you get a thing where you have to answer every email after four seconds because you're caffeine and it's like, it's it's all about being super fast. Uh, well, I think it's all about being responsive, um, and there are different timings for it. But yeah, we do we do recognise the fact that the people we're working with um, are very busy. Um, and that often what they need is somebody who can help solve something at speed. So one of our values is um, vigour and rigour. So there is a balance, of course, between answering things very fast and making sure you answer them smart. So getting that vigour and rigour is probably one of our most helpful guidelines. Nice. Um, I mean, this question might actually just encompass the entire podcast, but like, (laughs) how do you get that balance? What's, What's the trick to not being too fast or too detailed, but then too slow. There's a whole book on that, remember? (laughs) Um, No, but it's absolutely right, because too fast in anything is foolhardy and too slow is stupid and de-energising. And getting that that balance right is, um, is more about thinking about pace rather than speed. So pace can be variable. If you think about sports people, they, they think about how they pace things. Maybe um, yeah, they have A games and B games where they put different amounts of energy into them. Uh, they rest is as, as important as anything else. Um, and they work out when they need to go fast and what really, really matters. So I think that one of the, the key findings from researching Superfast and the people I'm talking to is those people who don't understand there is a need for speed are going to be struggling in today's business environment but equally those who think that means going super fast all the time suffer so thinking about pace and setting the right pace so that people can be both responsive and responsible to people inside their organizations to their customers and their clients and to themselves is probably the, the key to getting that balance right absolutely so let's talk about the book so your book is called super fast lead at speed how pace can drive performance. Um, I love the cover as well with a little gold hummingbird on it. Thank you. Um, and it is just packed full of interesting stories and anecdotes and little models and just little kind of nuggets of ways to think and stuff. So I really loved it. Um, and pace is obviously like a huge um, part of that. So um, tell us how, if you're a manager listening to this, if you're a leader listening to this, how can you? Um, how can you think about pace in a way that really helps you to drive that performance in the team? Well, I guess one of the um, reasons behind writing this book was that I kept coming across people who were very ambitious, but equally understood that um, there was a balance to life um, and to working with people and getting it right. Um, So there are plenty of people who quite rightly are saying there is benefit generally in slowing down. Um, When you slow down, you connect with people, you appreciate life, you can think more thoroughly. Um, But there is also a a thrill in moving fast, in seeing things happen, in accelerating business, creating things, changing the world. Um, And when we talk about pace, I think it's worth thinking about people who are pace setters. 
So those who are, you know, in the traditional sense, they're pioneering and making things happen. Um, and that, I think, is why I wanted to write the book and, and for people like that who really do want to achieve something but don't want to do it in a way that's irresponsible and exhausting all the time. So I think managers, when they're thinking about pace, perhaps it's the question of um, planning pace across time. So when you're running a very intense project, being smart about understanding people's energy and planning in the pauses um, and looking at that project and working out what are the points when we are going to need to move exceptionally fast and are we set up to do that? Yeah. Because part of the issue, I think, is a a lot of um, impatient, ambitious leaders scream because they want to go faster. And if there's not the support structure and there's not the processes set up and the behaviours and the tools to help people do that, that really slows things down. So part of the pace setting is is pausing to think slowly and get the, uh, the the processes, the structures, the direction, the vision, the strategy all absolutely right. So that actually, when you when you've done that, you can act really fast when you need to and mm. respond to the opportunities that are out there. Because if you don't, then your competitors will. That um, thing you just said about scream if you want to go fast. I just had this vision of like uh, somebody really wanting to go faster but they're on the merry-go-round carousel with the horses it's like it can't go any faster yeah right and i think there's an interesting thing about organizations there so one of the things you said in the book is like um, when it comes to energy um hire for it nurture it and reward it so do you want to say a bit more about that because that felt to me felt like there was a couple of things in the book just around how you as a leader look at the energy and the pace within your team and there's a little analogy somewhere about light bulbs and kind of if two mm-hmm. of them are going blown or a bit sort of turned down, your job is to kind of find where those um, where those examples are and kind of change the bulb or turn it up or whatever. And like it kind of felt like that identifying pace in other people mm. within the team is as important as prioritizing your own. So uh, tell us more about that kind of hire it, hire for it, nurture it, reward it mentality. So energy is what you need to survive in in a world of speed. You have to um, make sure you've got people who have the energy to fight all the battles, deal with all the challenges that you face every day in any kind of ambitious business that's trying to go somewhere. Um, Those who have the resilience, those who have the creativity to solve things in a different way. And that comes from having energy. Um, Now, a lot of people do have energy naturally and um, it's... uh, Uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella has a great hiring criteria so he says um, every time I look to employ somebody I ask two questions do they bring clarity and do they bring energy Mm. and that sums it up right doesn't it you you know you know when you're working with somebody who just makes everything clearer um, versus the people who obfuscate say that word who confuse who throw lots of complicated words in that they don't even know how to say (laughs) and they don't make it clearer but the energy point is is really important because there will be all kinds of things. This is a very unpredictable world right now. Um, and having people who've got the energy to, to do that. So hiring, everybody I spoke to, I spoke to um, 100 different people for the book. And everyone I spoke to talked about the lessons they'd learned about getting the right people on the bus, mm. who they hire, getting the right fit, but also bringing in diversity. Um, but also bringing in people with um the energy to be able to build teams and to make things happen. So hiring, absolutely crit- critical. And then nurturing it. So understanding 
um, how you can make that happen. And there's been a really positive thing, I think, in business recently where people have talked about well-being as a concept. But actually, well-being often um, can be slow and supportive. And, you know, a lot of people uh, are cynical about the fact that it's all about meditation and massage. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a much more interesting way of looking at well-being, which is you know, really understanding what energizes p- your people. And it isn't always giving them a, a pool table, although that might work. Um, there are all kinds of other ways in in giving them a sense of purpose, in giving them um, something that, f- you know, a plan that fits with who they are as individuals, all kinds of different ways in which you can nurture energy um, and give people more interesting projects. Sometimes it's not about just cutting down on their workload. But that sense of all you've really got is, you know, some kind of tech platform in every organisation and the people and working out what you can do to give them fantastic energy, that's when the sparks all, all happen. And you, you brought up the, uh, the light bulb thing, talking of that. Yeah. So that was um, uh, Baroness Gail Reebok, who's an uh, incredible woman who's headed up um, Penguin Random House for a number of years. And she talked about her role as a leader being um, you know, the, the person responsible for energy checking. And I love the idea of different leaders going into different offices that they have or different teams and just doing a bit of an energy yeah, check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she she says that you know it's it's working out what is it that's blocking the energy. Is it that this, yeah? So I mean, if we were looking at it now in any team, you could look at is there something about the way the team works, the toxic hire? Are they just really frustrated by the fact that? The technology is not quite working. Uh, do they feel that the, the organisation is not where they should be? Just trying to understand what the blockers are to energy, because once you can unblock that, you can release a whole load of positive speed or velocity, speed in the right direction. Yeah. Are there ways to measure that? I mean, it seems to, if, if I was thinking about going into a, a team or organisation organization that I didn't know, mm my first thought would be start having conversations. But it feels like, in a way, that's a, an almost like an intuitive thing. Are there ways to really externalise that and say, these are the objective measures of energy? This is how to look at where an energy level is at. Is it a 3 or a 10? Or, you know, yeah. Are there ways to think about yeah. it in, in a more of a measured way? No, it's a great question. And getting, and getting the um, uh, technology to support it would be re- really interesting. So I think... <laughs> Although probably a bit too um, sort of Big Brother Amazon no, style, right? No, 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 I don't, I think. Because I think um, the leaders to have a pulse on what people yeah. are thinking. So there are things that exist. Um, so um, And people are working on this. And I think this links into the fact that What's great about the world in which we operate right now is there's a lot of open sourcing of um, neuroscience, uh, uh, psychological understanding of how organisations work. So, you know, even what you're doing with the podcast, with everybody, there is information and insight out there for people. And there's quite a lot of science around it. So um, Adam Grant, uh, Dan Pink, you know, write extensively about what drives energy, productivity, Mm, motivation, all this kind of thing. So uh, there is something that can be explored when you're then going in and doing a, a, a sense check. But there's also now a lot of technology. So lots of organisations use uh, Culture Amp, uh, Office Vibe, uh, which give you a daily or weekly sense check of how your teams are feeling and what's going on. So that means you've got the more introvert people who might not necessarily be speaking up if you have a little bit of a chat or whatever, who can respond and give you feedback through that. There's another, uh, there's a 
uh, organization I know run by a woman called Katz Keeley who's setting up BEEP, which is a behavioral empowerment platform, okay. which is to help people have the tech tools to, to support how things are going. So there is a way of doing an energy check with technology. And of course, there is no substitute for um, what Neil Morissetti, who's a retired uh, rear admiral, talks about as uh, walking the ship. You know, a leader's most important tool is their legs. Walking around, yeah, having yeah, conversations. Yeah. Man- um, management by walking around. Yeah. yeah. Or setting it up in your diary so you've actually mm. got time for that. Um, David Shelley is the CEO of Hachette, who, who publishes the book. Um, you know, he has regular lunches with people inside the organisation mm. randomly. Just yeah. listens. Yeah. So that's how you check. Yeah. You listen. I still, come back to the tech part of it, I feel like there's a an element of, you know, like everybody in every job in some way is kind of selling their soul but you don't want to sell all of it do you know what I mean like you don't want to have like I would find it sinister the idea of someone checking what my energy is like on a Wednesday or how hydrated I am or you know that thing with Amazon where it's like they're looking at how many steps you take to get from this part of the warehouse to that part of the warehouse and all that and like you know ultimately that stuff can lead to uh, very overly data driven and in human consequences, right? Yeah. So maybe it's it's not, um, are you happy? You must be happy. You must be performing. It's all okay. It also feels a bit black mirror. Yeah, I mean. yeah. No, I th- but, but I think um, allowing a way in which if you're not happy or you think there's something that could be changed, to give easy, fast feedback to people is really important. Because if you're trying to run an organisation that's moving um, fast, you need everybody's eyes looking out for the icebergs yeah, on the yeah. ship. Um, and you need ideas from everywhere. So it, not necessarily a, you know, just a, I must be happy, but it is great to be able to feel that you can share your ideas or your thoughts or your grumbles with people um, without it, it you know, having to wait for your annual review. For sure. Um, and just there's a big part of that emphasis around um, energy, which is about prioritising yourself mm-hmm. and, you know, the plain analogy of you know you put your oxygen masks on before you put your kids on and that kind of thing and one of the things that was a kick up the backside for me was reading about exercise which I know <laughs> has a huge uh, impact I, I can feel it like if I've been for a run in the morning I can yeah. feel like I have a better day and I have a very sort of in and out relationship with that so sometimes I'll be just like constantly on it every day um, usually that's the times when I'm like training for a half marathon mm. or something mm. and then um, having just done one and found it really hard, I'm just like, oh, I just don't want to be running at the moment. So I haven't really done any running for probably like four or five weeks. And the line was like, um, if Barack Obama can make 45 minutes a day for exercise, then so can you. <laughs> you know, he was president of the United States and he could do it then. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this is such a big, big kind of, but big but obvious kind of wake-up call. It's like, oh, yeah, like I know that makes sense for me, but I'm not doing it. So... Have you got any tips about um, like how I can bridge that gap between my knowledge and behaviour and also like how are you in those kind of situations uh, with exercise as well? Well, I, what, was, what was hilarious was, you know, I was speaking to 100 different people all with completely different personalities, coming from different backgrounds, you know, going different, dealing with different um, business challenges, whether it's big organisation, fast-moving startup, you know, counter-terrorism unit, um, and just how often that came up as a comment it was just like oh, God, yeah it's really yeah. frustrating actually so I'm you know I'm absolutely 
um, gloriously imperfect when it comes to that. But, <laughs> but it was a huge revelation to me um, in, uh, you know, at a certain point when I realised that I didn't want to exercise just to be skinny and because I should, um, but actually it was much more effective to link the exercise to my clarity of thought mm. and the energy I had to cope with all the uh, challenging things that life throws at you. Yeah. So, um, and for mental health, right? This is really, the other thing really that important. I think people are recognizing more and more now, but you don't, you know, the main objective for running for me has never been about losing weight or being a certain body size or shape or whatever, but a lot of it is to do with just mental you feel health great. and resilience and it just makes you feel better. It makes you feel better, yeah. but it's also, it is also time to allow your brain to be in the default mode. Yeah, that, yeah. And that's the other thing, you know, everybody talks about um, it's, it's, it's time to think so. There's various people I spoke to for the book who, you know, will uh, run into work and maybe listen to podcasts as they're, as they're doing it, but it's, it's a thinking time. Um, Wim de Jong, who's an amazing guy who um, is senior managing partner for Alan Novery, so a law firm, he cycles to work because that's his planning, thinking, sort of percolation mm, in the caffeine terms yeah. time. So, so, so it is good thinking time when you're exercising for lots of people, or it could be just flow. You get actually do something that's so all absorbing. You yeah, give yeah. your brain a rest. Um, but yeah, I think me- mental health. I feel amazing when I do it. So, I find it very hard to prioritise, and it made a big change a few years ago of, of making sure the classic behavioural habit stuff, making sure it was in the diary and, and non-negotiable. Um, so I do a, a boot camp in Ravenscourt Park near my house, three oh, days you? a week, Ravenscourt boot camp, and it works perfectly because it's before work. Yeah. Um, so I start my day feeling smug. Um, <laughs> it's um, outside. So again, the science of mental health yeah, shows you spending yeah. time outside, you know, really helps. And it also fits into what I know um, motivates me, which is teens and other people solo exercise for me is not as satisfying mm, I've right. met some really interesting people through doing the boot camp so it's that bit nice. of um, A not feeling guilty about doing it I think so many people put it right at the bottom um, I've got to you know read my story to, at bedtime to my kids I've got to build my business you know I've got to look after my elderly parents all these things and it goes right at the bottom and if you do it that way around you just end up feeling worse so it's absolutely one of the most essential and basic and obvious but important things it's a bit like one of the things we say in the work field book which is um taking lunch shouldn't be seen as a guilty hour away from work it should be seen as this is what i need to do in order to digest food really well Mm -hmm. to give me the energy to power through for the next four or five hours in the afternoon yeah and it's like if you view those things as preparedness yeah and as an investment rather than sort of taking time away then it just it just changes the the sort of mental thought process around it i guess well if you were a machine you would um you know make sure it's all in working order and do what needs to happen so there is a you know a a logic to doing it but then an emotion there's the emotional release of actually i'm doing this for everybody else but i'm in a much better mood with my kids you know with my team when i've exercised so yeah, do you have to yeah, do yeah. to do it? And so you had like three things around energy. One was the exercise thing. Uh, one was scheduling your work around your energy levels, which mm. I'm a huge fan of um, with Productivity Ninja, obviously. Um, and the third one was powering off and this idea of being able to, uh, to sort of switch off and take time away so that you come back fully charged. Um, there's this term in the book, Max Q. Tell us about mm-hmm. Max Q and, and how do you uh, access 
the, the sort of radar around that to know if you're reaching it. So Max-Q is quite literally rocket science. Um, the aeronautical engineers, when they're looking at rockets, obsess over the point of Max-Q. And it's when the increased velocity of the, the rocket ship hits the decreased oxygen. <laughs> Obviously, I understand <laughs> it really well. Science-y. Things happen. It's the, point, it's the point at which damage starts to right, occur yeah. to the ship. And it's really, really critical to watch out for it. Um, and it's when things are going so fast that you don't have enough of the, what, what's needed to support the ship. Mm. So for us, um, a greater awareness of are you get reaching that point? And anybody who talks about mental health or who talks about um, productivity, I think, understands that, that there are moments when you can just tell, you can feel you're burnt out, you're uh, overworked, uh, you're overwhelmed, um, and then you're not making the right decisions and the right choices necessarily. You find yourselves in, and I see people in meetings and they are snappy um, and that's not their personality, but they, you know, they, they've reached that point. Um, and what makes me really sad is that sometimes there are people who end up leaving um, jobs or quitting entrepreneurial activities because they need a rest mm, yeah. um, and, they, and they're not taking it. And you talk about powering off. I mean, I don't, I think in the past I've been absolutely rubbish at holidays, at stopping at weekends, because I love my work. Yeah. And what Adam Grant talks about being engaged workaholics, you know, very dangerous. You know, this is in originals. Uh, it's in, I can't remember where he talked about it, um, but this, the, he talked about it that there's a, there's a difference between there are some people who basically are very good at segregating work and life. Um, and they understand that, and, and they just do their job and then they do their life and they want to have that difference. But he says the most, um, this is Adam Grant, the educational psychologist who is one of these, he says the most dangerous people are people who actually do love their job because um, they, they and, they, and they're very driven. Yeah. So they just keep going, just keep going. Uh, Ariana Huffington, equally, mm. with her Thrive Theory, she's a classic example of that. So for me, I had, um, you know, taken holidays because I want to spend time with my family and not because I thought that it was the right thing necessary to do for work or whatever it is. But over the last few years, talking to people and observing how I feel and what happens, there's that amazing bit when you come back from holiday and you are so energized and you can do anything. And I come back definitely always like, right, okay, let's get this stuff done. Um, And accessing that and and building that in to every week you know what are the pauses in your week what are you doing at the weekend to switch off um, can really alter the clarity of your thinking the energy your desire to get things done your ability to get things done Um, so I think just thinking about that and the um, uh, and building that in regularly especially when you go I'm getting to the point you know I've been burning hours at all ends or, or there's been a very stressful project or something I need to make sure there is something in there to repair yeah, the rocket for sure. ship for sure i i've just had like a really busy few days yeah um, are you feeling this both work-wise and then also just kind of life-wise mm. um a lot of stuff going on with um my son's funding for school and all this uh, and then at the weekend uh me and my little boy went camping and uh had a full weekend of that and then came back from that and then went to see the amazing kamazi washington who i don't know if you know him he's like He's basically this um, jazz saxophonist yeah, who cool. just walks on with these kind of huge, like, sort of African robes on. 
and just plays the saxophone as if the world's about to end for an hour and a half. Brilliant. I still feel like my ears are ringing like three yeah. years later, but it's just like the most exciting thing in the world for me. And um, so that was like Sunday night after this like long weekend. And then I had this three hour meeting about the funding thing yesterday. Yeah. I'm just feeling like, oh, I'm pretty close to the max queue right now. And I just, I know that over the next few days I need to have some early nights. And, yeah, um, yeah. Get on the Camelot tea a little bit and all that sort of thing. Oh, oh and but still have some fun. I mean, that's the other thing. I think we we often go, oh, I'm I'm overworked and and um, I need to go to bed early, which is absolutely right. Yeah. Sometimes though, you need to go out with some friends and. Oh, have a sure. break. I've, I've been doing plenty of that. That's why. That's why. Oh, yeah, the early yeah, but then too much of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's never a problem for me. <laughs> um, so one of the other things that I really liked in the book was you talked about. One of the philosophies of being super fast is about editing because mm. I think there's a thing for me that if you just focus on being, you know, super fast and going at pace, then actually what you end up with, if you're just focusing on that, is just going really fast on the hamster wheel mm. and actually not really uh, tapping into purpose. And so I think a lot of the stuff for me really resonates around editing, which is like how do you make sure that what you're doing at a super fast speed is the most purposeful kind of driven stuff to do. Um, you just about this, this idea of anti-goals, which I really mm. love. It's like a Warren Buffett thing. Mm. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the editing thing is is, is absolutely critical because um, the best bit of advice I got years ago was someone telling me, you know, um, you know, supportive friends saying, "Darling, you can do anything, but you can't do everything." Mm. Um, and that, for a lot of people, is just a big breakthrough. Yeah. Um, and there's a great story from um, Warren Buffett's pilot. Um, so Warren Buffett talks a lot about focus anyhow Um, it's a thing for him I think but um, he had this pilot for years I think it's called Mike Flint who came to him and said I'd I'd like some advice on my my life goals I'd really like you to talk me through what I should do so Warren Buffett said okay great why don't you write down you know all the goals you have for me and then we can talk it through so he came back with this great list 25 goals Um, and uh, Buffett said, uh, okay, so now circle your top five, you know, work out what they are. Okay, he went away, thought about it, came back, said top five. And then Warren Buffett in a great, you know, coaching, questioning way, um, as all the great leaders do rather than telling people, said, so what do you think you should do um, about the fact you've done that prioritization there now? And um, Mike said, well, I, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Absolutely. So what I need to do is make sure I really prioritize those and focus on those five things. And, you know, and and and, and the others I should just do when I've got a bit of time around the side of it all. Um, and Warren Buffett said, no, 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 no. Got it absolutely wrong. Those 20 you haven't circled become your at void at all cost list. You have to only move on to those when those five are done. Mm. And I think for a lot of us, we think we're prioritising. Um, and actually, unless we start saying no and put, putting things on the next list, not the now list, um, and being ruthlessly focused on things that are going to achieve what we actually want to do and having spent and to slow down to think about what you actually want to do originally, then we just end up rushing around like busy fools um, and we burn out. Absolutely, yeah. And it really reminded me of um, a thing that I talk about in workshops that I do, which is um, using Stephen Covey's analogy of the big rocks. So you have these big rocks that you're going to work on. And um, I always say you have one big rock for the morning and one big rock for the afternoon. Yeah. And then 
if you have five big rocks, you have no big rocks. And it's a bit like, if you've got 25 priorities, you don't have any priorities, right? I just think it's such a, I think Warren Buffett is one of the most interesting um, thinkers and mm. characters out there. Like, I don't think he, he gets a lot of credit. I just don't think he gets enough credit, actually, for some of the stuff that he comes out with. I think he's really cool. Um, the other thing that really um, stood out to me in this chapter, for very personal reasons, hmm. um, is the idea about being lazy. <laughs> um, I think I'm really lazy. And there was a thing where you said the lazy people learn to delegate. Um, and like, that is just me. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a really, I think maybe every business needs one and I think I'm good at it, but you know, I kind of also have, have a kind of bit of an issue with myself of like, why don't I just get involved with more of the work and do more stuff rather than being so, like lazy. I don't know. I just have a hang up about being lazy, even though I know I am lazy. Um, but I love this like two by two matrix thing, um, which was um, Kurt Gebhardt, do you know this name? Adolf yep. Philipp Freiherr von Hamstein Accord. Hamstein Accord, yeah. And yep. he was the German chief of the army high command um, until he resigned in 1934 um, because he opposed Hitler. Uh, but he had this amazing like two by two matrix. So I'll just read it. Um, so it said, basically it says there are four uh, different types of officers and in assessing how to make success of dealing with the army, he classed them into these four groups. So um, there are the clever diligent, stupid, and lazy officers, and usually two of them are combined. And this is where it gets really cool. Um, some are clever and diligent. Their place is in the general staff. The next lot are stupid and lazy. They make up over 90% of our army, and they're suited to routine duties. One must be aware of anyone who is stupid and diligent. Um, he must not be entrusted with any responsibilities because they'll only cause mischief. And then anyone who is both clever and lazy is qualified for the highest leadership duties because he possesses the intellectual clarity and the composure necessary for the difficult decisions. So I just really love that. It's this idea of like, if you're, if you're lazy, uh, but also clever, then you can really spot, you know, how to add that clarity and how to, how, how to lead people in a really effective way. And it's a, it, it's, it's a really serious point, actually, because if you are, I mean, if you're sending someone into war, if you're making that kind of decision on the front line, you need your brain to be clear. You, mm. and you need to, to, to make that happen. I mean, it's a, it's a, super um, way of, of putting it but um, but you also you do see this in life as well I mean, when we go back to this um, the freshness and the energy of your brain if your cognitive load is so exhausted you can't make good decisions and business basically comes down to pe- making decisions and executing on them and if you're a leader it's the decisions that you need to have the clarity of thought to be able to make but Having said that, I don't know, you know, not necessarily saying we should always be lazy. There's sort of strategically lazy. So it goes back to your, you know, choosing what, you know, working out what only you can do and what you should be doing um, and not feeling guilty. So you do see it in all kinds of organizations, really amazing people who are prepared to um, not be the ones that raise their hand every time. Um, And a lot of us hold ourselves back by being lovely people who want to volunteer for everything Mm. and and, um, uh, and help everybody. And there's a big guilt blocker for a lot of people in um, not doing everything. But if you say yes to everything and you do that, you can't achieve what you really want to, whatever your purpose is, what you believe in, and you can't do the things that only you are good at. So encouraging people to be strategically lazy and have that focus is really important. And then you can be as hardworking as you can 
against certain uh, objectives and the most important bits. Yeah, I think the, the reason I always identified as, well, I don't think I always identified as lazy, but I, the reason I realised at some point that I was uh, lazy in the way that I did a lot of stuff is, I think because my brain tends to focus on big picture rather than detail. Yeah. And so I get bored so quickly that I have to delegate the detail to somebody else to get onto the next thing. So great self knowledge. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's never about being the, you know, the least hardworking person, but it is about just not wanting to get into detail on projects. Do you know what I mean? And just kind of move, like yeah. getting bored and moving on yeah. to the next thing. I think is like boredom can be quite a, a useful trait. Yeah, in, yeah. Like, it's, in leadership. it's another one of those words that is so loaded, isn't it? Like being lazy and being bored are kind of things that. are seen as we're taught from such a young age to see those things mm. as negative but I just think it's really interesting but I, I, and I would argue that all the brilliant stuff you do with Productivity Ninja is um, helping people be more lazy yeah so, so Bill, Bill yeah. Gates says you know if you want something done you give it to a lazy person because mm. they'll find the shortest yeah. fastest way of getting there and that's all, you know all the, the hacks and the thought in Productivity Ninja is about the shortcuts so I think we can embrace being a little bit lazy when it's yeah, when it's yeah, smart yeah. And then another thing about editing um, that I really enjoyed was the granny test. So think about how you communicate ideas and using the granny test. So tell us about that. So there's a couple of great brands who um, use the granny test. Um, Innocent does and Octopus um, as a group also do. And the granny test is um, a backlash against the ridiculousness of language that's often used in marketing, in communications, um, in any kind of business speak. Um, and the granny test is very simply, would your granny understand it? Uh, so having that as a challenge for anybody who's looking at communications, I think both internally and externally in business, um, allows people to get there faster. I mean, it goes back to, you know, people like Winston Churchill. Yeah, yeah I can see you looking at his letter. Um, because we, you know, the smartest people can simplify things. Uh, clarity and editing it down. And when we're all so busy giving people pages and pages and pages and pages of instructions or strategy documents or whatever um, that their granny would never understand um, is not smart. Yeah, it was also reminds me of... Um... Uh, it's always a good question when your grand says oh what are you doing what are you working on <laughs> yeah. or whatever um, it really makes you it, it really you know sort of makes you explain those things with a lot of clarity because I, I can just meet people who are in the same industry oh you know productivity or whatever. but then with my grand I have to say well I'm I'm helping people to think in a different way. Mm. So you have to kind of express it in a way that's just a bit that's more, nice. yeah. a bit more real. Because you know, my grand's never had a laptop and doesn't doesn't yeah. know yeah. doesn't know what an inbox is, let alone how to get it to zero, right? Yeah. So there's all those kind of um, hidden hurdles and, and stuff. So I just thought that's a really nice little thing. Um, that, that Winston Churchill thing is great. So there's like a you have a memo that you've actually printed in the book. Um, by the way, just on a totally like geeky book thing, do you have to get permission to put that in the book? How does that work? <laughs> we think not. It's better to apologise than ask permission. <laughs> is the answer. To that. We did check. Uh, yeah, my, my, I spoke to my lovely editor about yeah. that when we were doing it. Um, but it's you know it's, it's in the public domain. Right. Okay. And it's I, I suppose there's like a there's a, a a time limit to those things, isn't there? So there's one of my favourite stories of the year is always on. I think it's on New Year's Eve. The government releases like a year of paperwork that was classified and now is not classified yes. and at the moment they're up to about the end of the 80s um, yes yeah, so it's probably like 2018 so think, yeah. so it must be from the 80s like 30 year rule or something 
So yeah. you, at the moment, you're always hearing every Christmas about the awful things that Margaret Thatcher was saying yeah. to her cabinet when they were warring. And all that. So I just find all that stuff. Yeah, the, his, the stories of history. Yeah, but the Churchill thing where he says, um, to do our work, we all have to read a mass of papers. Nearly all of them are far too long. This wastes time, while energy has to be spent looking for the essential points. I ask my colleagues and their staff to see it that their reports are shorter. And then he has this whole list of different ways of doing that. And the last bit is... Um, Let us have an end to such phrases as these. It is also of importance to bear in mind the following considerations or considerations should be given to the possibility of carrying into effect. So he's actually kind of listing these phrases that he's just so annoyed by and stuff. And just, you know, this idea of just getting, um, you know, much simpler with the language. Uh, And he finishes it with saying, um, reports drawn up along these lines, I propose, may at first seem rough as compared with the flat surface of officialese jargon. But the saving in time will be great, while the discipline of setting out the real points concisely will prove an aid to clearer thinking. Um, what was interesting about that is that we often think of culture in organisations as being this kind of new thing, because we've only really <laughs> studied it for a little while. But, you know, that's a leader so in tune with culture and the idea that if you read those things in a different mm. way, then it will it'll seem jarring and different and whatever. Yeah. And that's, like, that is a, that's him changing culture even before... Um, you know, before that was a kind of studied phenomenon, I guess. And if you think about it, his um, powerful language that he always used, you mm. know, he really understood the beauty and the power of words, but that goes hand in hand with the skill of editing. When you pare it down to a fewer words, to, to a fewer words, when you pare it down to fewer words that people are more likely to understand, the impact and the power is so much faster and more um, yeah. I- effective. And there was that thing about um, uh, TED. Are TED Talks 18 minutes because mm. Martin Luther King's speech was 17 minutes something? Is that where that 18 minute thing comes from or is it just a coincidence? I know, I know they, 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 I know they are, and I don't know what, whether it was intentionally that. But there's been mm. some science done about that is actually the perfect length for a speech yeah, as well, yeah. which I think is true because we often um, ask speakers to speak for an hour or thirty minutes or whatever, and actually the seventy minute mark, you do people st- see people start to glaze over. So yeah, it's a good yeah, length. Yeah, yeah. I most of the stuff I do is sixty minutes, and like reading the stuff in your book about. 20 minutes I was just thinking oh god <laughs> am I doing do, it all wrong you could do it you just get people to do exercises in between <laughs> that's true yeah, you know yeah. and then come back to it give them little pauses yeah yeah that's true um, speaking of pauses so that's another big um, strategic uh, tip in the book I guess about how to keep that pace and, and you know and how to keep that energy um, so you talk about creating space which is another one of my my little um, catchphrases make space for what matters and mm. Um, I think a lot of people feel like there isn't time to do quality thinking or time for reflection. And it's always seen as a bit of a luxury when you're in that day-to-day grind of stuff. Um, So how do you do it? How do you create space and make the space that you need for that clarity of thought? So I think it um, it is something that needs to be planned um, but it's also something that can be stolen and, and taken. Um, so there's a greater awareness now of um, space and place and what helps with creative thinking or, um, or, or, or any kind of deep thinking. So sitting in a uh, windowless conference room and being forced to think about you know, being innovative mm, is not always yeah. the way to do it you do need stimulation to help you think. So the place you're in can make a big difference. 
Um, we held uh, as part of an event on Sunday in aid of the big issue where a lot of people came together to talk about um, various business uh, events. And it was in a beautiful location in, in Hammersmith, Kindred. Um, and what a lot of people said was what a difference it made to be in a beautiful building. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of the co-working uh, engineers are really looking at and, and office engineers are looking at how you can create spaces that stimulate thinking. Um, but taking it wherever you can, you know, someone I interviewed, um, classic a, a, a advertising agency um, guru who said, my best ideas always came from the golf course. Mm -hmm. um, but it was true, you know, he was yeah. in a different place to, to think. Um, for me, I think it's often about making sure there are thinking partners and, um, uh, uh, and groups of people who can think better together as well. Sometimes you need to do it by yourself, but having um, a coach uh, or having people you work with who are thinking partners really helps. Um, at Google, uh, Eric Schmidt and the team there talk about the importance of having partners um, on any project. They always pair people up to solve problems together. And that opportunity of having someone else challenging your thinking, talking things through with you, having different perspectives can really create a, a different pace and also create space to go right together. We need to work this mm -hmm. through. Yeah. But then there's all kinds of different ways of doing it. So I'm a big fan of the walk and talk. Um, Salvatore Ambalado, I, I don't know if I'm saying the, the right Latin accent, because I don't think you can have a Latin <laughs> accent, but um, uh, Socrates always used to talk about it is solved by walking, the very act of going on a walk and the mm. oxygen that comes into your brain. Um, and if you go with somebody um, and talk about, particularly trying to think about something laterally, you can often really uh, have quite an energetic and interesting conversation. Really good for one-on-ones with your team. So you're not just in the office, you go for a walk together. Really good because you're not looking at each other's eyes. So if it's a difficult conversation, also good conversations with teenage kids to mm, do that, actually. Yeah. It's like so, the teenage kids driving in the car is where you talk about yeah, sex for the first time. Exactly. It's like you're not looking Exactly. At so if you've got a difficult conversation with someone in your team, go, going mm. for a walk, because you, you, know, you get the energy of exercise as yeah. well. Um, and that's creating space um, that feels different for people as well. It's not just, right, we're going to sit in the same meeting room and talk about this problem again until we solve it. It's uh, let's go somewhere else and uh, find a different way of thinking about it. And that creates this, this illusion of a different speed of time. Um, you know, sometimes things feel very, very different if you can take yourself to a different place and have a different experience. Yeah, I've got um, a friend and ex business colleague and kind of still you know business contact who we don't really see each other very much but we always make time once a year in the summer mm. to go walking for a day on the south downs oh nice and honestly it's it's always one of those days that i look forward to because i end up solving problems that i didn't know i had brilliant and coming up with ideas for stuff and all of this and we get to catch up and i have be a beautiful day yeah. a nice picnic and yeah. all the rest of it and it's you know it's, it's always so nice. always sunny on the south downs in the summer right as well but it's just one of those things that um, I'd never really thought of as being like a useful or productive thing to do. I just, we kind of just started doing it. Yeah. But now that I'm thinking about it in that way, I'm kind of thinking, oh, maybe I should do this more and make it Bring more it than just life. with one person yeah. and more than just once a year. Kind yeah, of. it's a shared thing yeah. to, to do together. I think also in London, um, you can get so many places without going in an Uber or, or on the tube. You can, you know, it's often just as quick to walk between yeah. meetings. Yeah. So, uh, you know, always having... If you're a woman, take your trainers in your bags and, and, mm. and a backpack so you can do that. Um, can also make it quite energising. 
Nice. Or if you're a man, just wear trainers all the time. Yeah, good trainers. (laughs) and the other thing about pause that I really liked was um, coming back to your coffee theme, percolation, <laughs> right? And um, this is something I really relate to because I feel like often my best ideas are slow forming mm-hmm. and I hate being under pressure to come up with a decision or a solution to something that I really haven't finished the thinking on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just really happy to see percolation prioritised there. So how can people make use of that idea of percolation and make sure that some ideas, you know, if you're trying to solve something that needs to be a bit slower than mm-hmm. just at full pace, how can you how can you find that pause for percolation? It's important to think about it in the context of decision making, because the biggest way to slow down and destroy a company, and if I were to go in as a saboteur tomorrow, would be to slow down any decision making and make mm. it really confused or whatever. Um, and actually what you're doing here is being really clear when you start thinking about it differently like this, it's being really clear and saying, that's a question that needs more time. Um, and you can still set another deadline for mm. people. You can still say, we'll talk about that and let's give ourselves 30 days rather than rushing it. Um, and, it and it absolutely gets to the heart of, of what I believe in the book and, and the approach to it all, which is that you, know, you do have to think slowly sometimes and get and not rush into it all. Um, but if you've made the decision and say, right, this is one we need to percolate on, you know, or strategically procrastinate, yeah. or you know, find another way of, of thinking about it. And then rather than just going, right, we'll just delay it and then at the last minute agree something, um, it's thinking about how can I think about this better? So can I go for a walk with somebody? Mm, can I yeah. um, get more data? Um, can I get a really different perspective from from somebody. So should I talk to to a customer about it or should I talk to um, somebody I know has a completely different point of view to me on it to help my thinking? Um, But I definitely agree that rushing what the thinking time um, isn't isn't right and is a problem for people. And that's one of the things when you talk to people about moving at pace, that they push back on quite rightly. Yeah. But yeah. percolation is when, you know, there are different, you know, the way in which your brain works, just fascinating the way in which the neurons um, do it. And um, it's a great book on, uh, by Leonard, what's his name? Can't remember his surname, um, about elastic thinking, where basically the neurons in your brain, there's top-down thinking, which is very linear, and then there's bottom-up thinking, which is much more creative and innovative and the connections are being okay. made. And so allowing yourself... Um, different ways of thinking uh, and to allow the brain to percolate and all the ideas to come together in different ways does require a little bit of time Um, and it needs you to have some energy Mm. and it needs you to sometimes set it in default mode so you sort of the ideas that come when you're in the bath like Archimedes or when you're on a run or you've stopped thinking about it so head on but you've let your brain continue to work on it and percolate and it suddenly hits you at the most unexpected time. I was camping at the weekend with my little boy and I had about two hours after he'd gone to bed, just sat next to the campfire on my own. I did, I did some amazing thinking of stuff that I, again, didn't realise that I needed to solve and all this mm. kind of stuff and ended up just getting my Nosby out and just kind of capturing a few things at the end of that. But I think that was, again, just because it was just like, just looking at this fire and you're in a completely mm. different mindset and then... Um, I wasn't trying to think about work. It wasn't a thing that I was 
particularly focused on, but just like, oh yeah, and I should, oh, there's an idea, and then I should do that, and Perfect. you know, just captured a few things that yeah. way. So I, yeah, it's again one of those things where you don't necessarily know you're doing it half the time, but once you once you do, mm. once you're aware of that process, you can kind of you can put some things in place, like say get more data or yeah. trust someone else or create space or whatever. But being you and being engaged and not. Um, not as lazy as you think you are, you did actually just write it down there. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. the other thing is, you think of a great idea yeah, and then yeah. you, if you don't capture yeah. it, it's frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the other thing about uh, that whole thing there, so uh, slow thinking, mm. um, I remember I introduced you to Carl Honore. You did. Who wrote your praise of slow. Yeah. Because I'd met Carl and then I'd met you within about two weeks of each other. <laughs> and I was like, this would be really interesting. You guys should just like chat and stuff. And I kind of had the, this intuitive thing that there might be things about your approaches that were completely opposite and then also things that really unified in the middle. So I'm interested to know, because Carl's a, a former um, a podcast guest on Beyond mm. Busy as well. So what were, your, how, what were your conversations with Carl and uh, where did you agree and disagree? <laughs> well, it was a brilliant introduction. So thank you so much for that. I mean, Carl is an incredible guy and a great writer. Um, and not only are his books about in praise of slow brilliant but I don't know if you've read Boulder his recent I've not one read it yet. got to read it is it really good top yeah. tip to everybody listening actually it's a really good present for anybody you know who's going through a few struggles with the idea of aging because it's about positive um, yeah, right. uh, a positive story about aging um, so yeah so he's a fantastic guy and um, what was interesting is he quite rightly has written and talks eloquently about not rushing mm. and creating moments of joy, moments of connection, moments when you're taking the time to do what really, really matters, like slowing down reading to your child at night, um, like appreciating food. Um, and, you know, the challenge was, I mean, he and I were together recently, we wanted to set ourselves up as sort of fast and slow and, and, yeah. and the challenge of it all. And, you know, the, the point is, moving fast is really exciting mm. you know there is a thrill of it and Carl recognises that and slowing down to do what matters in life um, to think to enjoy life is still something I 100% believe is yeah, important yeah. Um, for me the fact is the world is super fast and it isn't going to slow down so we have to therefore lead which means we have to make choices for ourselves personally about how we respond to that speed. And that does include editing your life so you can spend time working on what really matters, finding different ways of, of running things so that you can appreciate it all. Um, one thing we definitely agree on is, well, in, in business and in life, you know, the connections you make, the people you get to know, the relationships you build are incredibly important both personally to enjoy life and also to be effective at work. Mm -hmm. So building your teams, understanding your teams. You know, the Google guys the other day um, were, were talking about this again, Eric Schmidt talking about um, how taking that bit of extra time to ask people in meetings um, how their weekend was, was a thing he'd learned from his trillion dollar coach. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds really basic, but, yeah. but working out what the bits are where you slow down and matter. And then for me, the big thing is uh, cutting out all the things that waste the rest of time. Um, so finding ways to speed up the bits that are less important 
um, to cut out the the bureaucracy that necessarily holds back business to um, work around the politics, which is a, a slow thing in a toxic way. Uh, the politics at work, I mean, yeah. politics in life, politics which is a much more complicated yeah. thing. Um, but it's you probably know, also slowing and toxic <laughs> right now. That's a whole other story. Uh, but the but the whole thing comes back down to that idea of the really amazing people who are managing this and are thinking about being responsive. So being able to uh, seize opportunities, um, be spontaneous, um, respond in the moment to people, um, respond in the moment to business opportunities, whatever it is, but also responsible, um, the responsibility of building a life that we all want, a world that we all want, um, and you know businesses that we all feel good about. Um, and that requires a variable pace. Mm, so, absolutely. you know, he's, he's very, very much, you know, the slow movement is very much part of a super fast world. Yeah. He also, just to be the yin to that yang, he was telling me that um, he can't drive slowly. He's, he's like, he breaks all his own rules when it comes to <laughs> the of a car. Um, two things I wanted to uh, to work before we finish. There's so many other notes I've made and we don't have time, which is, um, which is really nice. So maybe we'll have to do this again. Um, so, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, you talk in the book about this idea of being constructively paranoid and you know this idea of when everything's going so fast uh, they'll look out for the other companies in the world that might come and steal your lunch and there was kind of like an uh, energy to that that felt quite restless and feels like the opposite of what you were just saying actually <laughs> which is quite interesting so um, tell me about being constructively paranoid for you so is that something that you find difficult to switch off from because it felt to me like if I was constantly thinking in that way then I would stop being constructively paranoid and just end up feeling quite paranoid and that wouldn't be necessarily good for my own uh, like sense of well-being and self so I'm just wondering if that's something that you ever struggle with or if that's something that you've ever thought about in that way it's a, it's a complicated one because if you are aware of how fast the world is moving, you do have to be aware that um, things can change overnight. Mm. I mean, the stats in business about, um, you know, the, the businesses that have failed, the most surprising, you know, the, the classic Kodak and, and Blackberry stories yeah. um, and how quickly things can change... Um, and equally for startups and entrepreneurs, you know, how every year matters, you know, and and the competition are going to be there. And there's some stats in the book about that, which is just to do with the number of years that a company spends on the, the S&P 500 kind of list and the number of startups. I think it was it 50 percent of startups within five years are dead in the, in the UK. Fail. In the UK. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so once you're aware of that, that becomes yeah. a really difficult thing to even contemplate, right? And this is, you know, when I said about um, thinking about who the book was for originally, there was that bit of, you know, people who are um, ambitious and want to do something and make sure their businesses mm. succeed. And I think that it's not about being restlessly miserable every second of the day. Um, and great entrepreneurs are tend to be quite optimistic yeah, in, 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 in what they're looking at. Um, but it is um, that the restlessness to improve um, and the horizon scanning, um, because of what's happening with technology, things just transform mm. so quickly. If you aren't looking out for where's the next opportunity or where's the next threat, that is very dangerous in, in business. 
but there are ways to to manage that constructively so you're not constantly rushing around screaming at everyone going oh it's all gonna go wrong and panicking at all yeah. um you know so that's again you know you build in the pauses to plan you make sure the data is coming in mm. uh, you build up your peripheral vision as a leader so you look at what's happening in, in the world and you you see where there might be opportunities coming um and hydrogen struggles uh quoted this in the book which i think is great they talk about the difference between um what was, they call it ripple intelligence you can see lots of ripples coming and you don't know whether they're going to turn into waves or not and sometimes you just need to make a judgment call about, you know, when we talk about AI, you know, what's the impact really going to be? So there's, I think the being constructively paranoid includes building up your intelligence in both senses of the word, the insight coming in to help you make the right decisions, and also the um, your personal um, understanding of what's happening in the world. And that helps you understand that a lot of the time what's changing can be positive and can be opportunities for you. Um, but needing to stay agile enough so that, you know, if somebody does come in and, and change things really quickly, you can respond to it. Um, you know, it just it just part of being fit for a fast world, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Got to have a surfboard to surf the wave. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and the final thing was just a little geeky thing, really, is <laughs> you, uh, so recently were part of, the focus group process for my new book yes um, which is going to be called fixing meetings Mm -hmm. and you emailed the night before through to Hayley the co-author saying I've not read it but I'll be on the call and then the next morning after an hour of reading it you just had this extensive list of notes so speed (laughs) reading Mm -hmm. like it's a thing right so tell us how you learned speed reading and um, (laughs) what what, what can people pick up from that because I suppose everyone wants to read lots more books whether that's fiction books or whether that's more business books or whatever and not everyone wants to do it through downloading Blinkist or something mm. um, so tell us about that well so I guess there's a couple of things around that I mean um, there's a there's a bit of, of being aware of of what you can do and doing more of it so I love to read I read fast and so I continue to make it happen yeah. so that's that's all the only way the only reason I can speed read is because I read voraciously and have done all my life. And so it's practice, practice, mm. practice. And there are continued examples of how people can learn things really fast through practice. You know, the, the data and the science is out there. So speed reading is accessible for anybody. And there are lots of, um, I think, specific techniques about how to do it. But frankly, it's Was just... there a particular book that you used? No, no. I mean, I just I just read a lot. Oh, right. I, just, I mean, that's, just that's all it was. Yeah. But I do... Um, do you think you're right in that um, people are, you know, I talked to a lot of people who are really interested in building up their understanding of the world mm. by reading more and they don't read very fast. So I, what I think is great is podcasts. You know, I mean, this is yeah. brilliant because they're bite-sized bits of stimulation for people, um, which is often enough. Um, audible books. My bite-sized bits of podcasts are between an hour and an hour and a half, generally. Like, but, and I, I steadfastly refuse to make it shorter. But, they, but, lots, <laughs> but lots of people, I mean, the reason why there's, there's growth in podcasts is why lots of people do respond well to um, audio rather than mm, reading. Yeah. Um, and actually you digest it in a quite a different way, I think, to when you're reading it. So, so I think that's re- really good. Um, and then I think, you know, there are other ways of, of accessing um, things that don't have to be just reading. Um, but I do think that a lot of the people I spoke to who'd, who had really interesting perspectives were consciously consuming um, books or 
leadership articles or theory. They just had a curiosity about the world that whether it was reading or podcasts or whatever, that they were continuing to develop their thinking through that type of thing. Mm, um, yeah. and, that, and and you see how, how effective it is. But yeah. And I just recorded, literally just finished recording the audio for Superfast, which I'm All really right, excited cool. about. So that's coming out soon. Um, so hopefully that, you know, there's quite a few people who said to me, I really want to know what you, you've written about, yeah. but I'm never going to get around yeah, to reading the book. Give me an audio. Book, yeah. yeah. Long yeah, car journey, myself, commutes. Yeah. 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 How long did it take you to record the audiobook? Three and a half days. Wow. It's a really interesting process, actually, reading it yeah. through. What was it like revis- revisiting your words in that way? And performing your words as well, because you can't just read it. You've got to read it with a bit of style and panache. Yeah, the performing bit, I mean, you would have seen this, but the performing bit is, um, is the bit where you get self-conscious, probably. Yeah. Although I'm acutely aware that in Audible um, business books, there are very few women who narrate them. I think in the top... 30 at the moment no top 40 at the moment there's one business book that's narrated by a woman wow. so I felt quite a yeah. responsibility around that um, but yeah, sadly I quite enjoyed reading mm. it again yeah. um, you know I wrote the book in a way that uh, when, when I had an imposter syndrome halfway through writing the book um, I realised I should just write a book that I wanted to read yeah. um, and not worry um, and actually I did quite enjoy reading it again so I'm hoping that that comes across when people are listening to it all cool and I really enjoy reading it so thank um, you yeah, a lot congratulations uh, on it as well mm-hmm. um, so let's finish with the plugging bit of tell everyone where they can find the book and where they can <laughs> find you and anything else you want to talk about uh, so super fast lead at speed is at all good bookstores etc etc but on Amazon um, and the audible version comes out very shortly as well um, if you want to find out more about caffeine uh, caffeine's at thisiscaffeine.com um, I'm on Twitter as s underscore Devonshire um, and on Instagram as Ms underscore speeds um, and I'm really interested in thoughts feedback ideas both around the book about the things we've talked about here um, you know I remain very curious about this super fast world so I'd love to be in contact with anyone who's interested Cool. And uh, people can watch how fast you get back to them as well. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So you're off for lunch somewhere somewhere nearby here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just thanks so much for hanging out. It's been great. Thank you. Really good to talk. Thanks again to Sophie for being on the show. And one thing I've got to say is that I had so many notes and little post-it notes and stuff um, in my copy of the book and loads of bits underlined and loads of bits that I just didn't get to in the in the interview, even though we had an hour. And even though I felt like I, I really packed it full of stuff, there was a load of stuff I really wanted to get to that we didn't. And I'm going to give you one of them because I just think it's such a good little thing. And I think it really um, sits at the heart of what we're about here on Beyond Busy. So I'm going to give you this as a bit of a homework question. And this is just a little experiment. I've never really done this before, but let's let's give it a go. So this is a tweet that is sort of screenshot and referenced in Sophie's book. It's from Randy Zuckerberg. And it simply says this, the entrepreneur's dilemma, maintaining friendships, building a great company, spending time with family, staying fit, getting sleep, pick three So that's like my little thought for the day. That's my little bit of homework for you. So I'll read them again. And I want you to just have a think about how this fits into your own life right now. So Randy Zuckerberg says, the entrepreneur's dilemma, maintaining friendships, 
building a great company, spending time with family, staying fit, getting sleep. Pick three. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you can uh, you can tweet me at Graham Alcott on Twitter and uh, the same on Instagram. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I'm going to just right off the top of my head, give you where I think I'm at right now with my three. And I honestly have not rehearsed this. I'm going to do this like, like as a total gut feel thing. I think for me right now, maintaining friendships is, is definitely one of the three. Uh, I'm going to have to say spending time with family, although that is kind of like for me, I mean, uh, with my little boy, it's sort of, it's kind of mandatory, right? But like, you know, single dad half the week, it's kind of mandatory, but it's going to be in there. So maintaining friendships, spending time with family. And honestly, I'm going to say building a great company, even though like sleep for me, I'm so precious about, but you know, it's like, it's the kind of uh, work and family thing. Staying fit, as you heard in this conversation is um, something that is uh, definitely the one that is kind of eluding me. And uh, probably in the last week or so, sleep's been eluding me a little bit as well. We'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. It just really struck me as a really interesting um, thought experiment. And it's probably one of those things that changes from week to week. You know, I'm usually pretty good on my sleep. So maybe usually uh, there's a bit less of the friendship stuff and a bit more of the sleep stuff, for example. Um, work definitely kind of um, flits in and out of my three as well. So there'd be weeks where building a great company is not the one that's in there. Um, but yeah, we'd just love to hear your thoughts. So at Graham Alcott on Twitter and Instagram, if you want to let me know about that. A um, couple of other things to say. So um, the Workfield book um, is on Amazon and I would love for you to go and get a copy of that. And my masterclass is on Friday, the 28th of June. Uh, that is in London in Angel. Tickets at Eventbrite. Um, thanks to Sophie for being on the show. Thanks to Mark Stedman, my producer on the show, to Podient for hosting this and for Think Productive for sponsoring this. If you're interested in productivity training, if you want us to get your inboxes to zero, fix your meetings, help your people to become productivity ninjas, it's all at thinkproductive.com. Cool. That is it for another two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks time. And um, Sophie, very kindly at the end of the episode, gave me a whole list of people that would be interesting uh, podcast fodder, people to get on the podcast. But I'm really interested in your suggestions. We had Jessica Foster-Q on a couple of episodes ago. And that was literally, it came about because someone on Twitter at replied both of us and just said, hey, this would be good. Like you guys should do a podcast together. So I did her podcast, she did mine. And it was a really great little um, sort of hookup thing. So if you want to hook me up with people who you think would be interesting to be on the podcast, either for me to go on their podcast or for them to come on here, uh, perhaps other podcasts that you listen to, let's do a bit of kind of cross fertilization. Uh, then let me know and let's do that. That'd be all good. So um, I'll be back in two weeks time with another episode. So until then, take care and bye for now. <laughs>